I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Hey, it's Dan, dropping into your feed with something special. Now, this past summer, Stitcher Premium went away, RIP, so there's been no access to the Sporkful's archive. And we have a big archive. The show's been going on for nearly 14 years. Many of you have written in saying, how do we get these episodes? Well, we've decided, here's the exciting announcement part, that we're going to start releasing episodes one by one. Every other Friday, we're going to dig through the Sporkful deep freezer and pull out one episode to reheat. Get it? It's not a repeat. It's a reheat. Yeah, I'm still excited about that. Now, here's a part where I need your help. I want to know what episodes you want us to reheat and serve to you. So drop me an email at hello at sporkful.com and let me know what episode should come out of the deep freezer and why. Voice memos are great. Emails are good, too. Send them all to hello at sporkful.com. Now, this week, just in time for the holidays, we're reheating the last Sporkful Thanksgiving special ever, which aired back in 2017. Now, you'll have to listen and decide if reheating this episode means we've broken our promise to never do another Thanksgiving special. I think not. Either way, this one's a real classic and should get you in the mood for Turkey Day. Thanks, and happy Thanksgiving. What are your feelings about turkey, Mimi? I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) This is legendary food critic and writer Mimi Sheridan. She doesn't like turkey. So one year at Thanksgiving, she decided to serve young pigeon or squab. Individual squabs for each guest. About 10 times more expensive than a turkey. Not only did I have to pay more for the squab, but I had the butcher bone the breast so that I could stuff it. And he charged $2 each to bone the breast, <laughs> plus this high cost of I love that squat. you remember the, how much that cost. <laughs> I remember very well, as though it were yesterday. And then I made a very Italian stuffing with porcini and Italian sausage and almonds and stuffed each little bird. What I liked about it, though it was a little more difficult to tend while cooking, is you didn't have to carve. You just plopped one squab on each plate and you were home free. But the guests were stunned. No turkey on Thanksgiving. Little children almost cried. <laughs> and I said, well, you have to have turkey. I thought, well, the hell with that. This costs so much. And it was uh, back to turkey. <laughs> Today on The Sporkful, it's a Thanksgiving variety show. We'll talk about the best way to cook a turkey. Brining and all doesn't sound memory-making to me. It's so (laughs) wet. And what kind of vessel do you put a huge turkey in to brine it? A five-gallon bucket from Home Depot. Oh, my God. (laughs) Plus, cookbook author Kian Lam Ko is Chinese. But on Thanksgiving, he makes the exact meal his husband Warren grew up with in New England. Every year is the same thing over and over and over again with no changes in the in the menu. Why was it important to you to learn how to make Warren's mom's Thanksgiving dinner? I had no choice. 
And I'll explain to Milk Street Kitchen's Christopher Kimball why this is the last Sporkful Thanksgiving special ever. That's all coming up. Stick around. My name's Becky Moreland, and I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska. And the way I know that Thanksgiving is in my house is because my husband and I have a battle of the birds every year. I maintain the oven method, and he believes in the grill method. We both make a turkey, and then we let the guests vote. My name is Melissa. I'm from Virginia. The black side of my family is from South Carolina. My mom is 100% Russian Jewish, but she didn't cook much before she got married, so everything she learned, she learned from my grandmother. So she's been cooking African-American food for about 60 years. And I know it's Thanksgiving in my house when you smell all kinds of yummy African-American foods. We have cornbread, the ham, the turkey, the collard greens, and definitely the mac and cheese. Hi, this is Sadia from Ashland, Oregon. I know it's Thanksgiving when I've been in my kitchen all day on Wednesday baking and cooking, and by late evening, the 20 or so of the most beloved people in my life begin to slowly trickle in the door from points north and south. I lay out a taco burrito bar spread, and all the hungry travelers fill plates and find places to perch in the kitchen, and we begin the kickoff to my favorite weekend of the entire year. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Thanksgiving's always been my favorite holiday. You know, there's a lot of holidays that include a big meal. But at Thanksgiving, the big meal is the whole point. This year, though, for the first time, I found myself starting to dread Thanksgiving. I have a lot of family coming to my house, and even though I've cooked many delicious turkeys in my life, the more I learn about all the options for how to cook the bird, the more I panic. Wet brine or dry brine? Basted? Cooked upside down the first half of the time and then flipped? Stuffed or dressed or both? Braised, roasted, deep fried, to spatchcock or not to spatchcock, covered or uncovered, on a rack or right in the pan, cooked whole or in parts, to what temperature, and I haven't even gotten to the seasonings. (sighs) Breathe. Okay. We did a Thanksgiving special a few years ago, and in it I talked with Sam Sifton, editor of the New York Times food section, and he said something that really stuck with me. The food media, of which I am a part each year comes to Thanksgiving with a new idea. Here's a new way to make the turkey. Here are seven great appetizers to change your Thanksgiving feast. And that creates pressure on those of us who are cooking Thanksgiving because we think, well, I guess I do need something new. I can't make my mom's Brussels sprouts again. Yeah, that's right. It's food media's fault. Except now I'm part of the food media. So as long as I keep coming out with Thanksgiving shows... I'm part of the problem. And it feels silly to keep trying to reinvent a holiday where most people just want it to be like it was when they were nine. 
So food media is stressed, home cooks are stressed, and it's created this phenomenon that I have dubbed the wheel of infinite Thanksgiving anxiety. Well, friends, after this year, I'm stepping off the wheel. Because in putting together this year's show, we realized there just wasn't much new we had to say beyond exploring our own mixed feelings about tradition and innovation and holiday stress. And that made us realize that maybe after this year, it's time to stop doing Thanksgiving episodes. I told legendary food writer Mimi Sheridan about my plan, and she was skeptical. So what you're telling me is that making this the last Sporkful Thanksgiving special might be a business mistake. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the popularity of this one. Okay. You know, completely new and different right. Thanksgiving where we eat something else. Right. Well, maybe in, I, I won't do one for like five years, and then I'll come back and be like, return of the Thanksgiving special. Right. right. This year, Thanksgiving will mean more than ever. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> See, that's good. That's some good marketing right there. Yes. I feel like there's this ridiculous pressure to have something new to say every year. When really all anyone wants is the same. Well, that's how I feel about all of the recipes that appear for Thanksgiving. Something different for Thanksgiving. Or they will say something different for a Passover Seder. These are things that come around once a year. They are vivid parts, especially of children's memories, that always on this day, this was here on the table, that was here on the table. And I don't think there's a reason to change that, that you have to search and search for something new and different. I used to have a party, an open house every New Year's Day, my husband and I, and we had 75 people and it was a big buffet. And one of my friends came once and said, no matter what happens during the year, I know the Gravlox is going to be on the carved glass platter at the front of the table with this on one side and <laughs> yeah. that. And like for 15 years, that's exactly what it was. It right. was it's reassuring. I know you, you mentioned that you incorporated Italian components into some of your Thanksgiving dishes because your husband was Italian. Right. Are there other specific memories you have of him from Thanksgiving? Oh, of course. I mean, he shopped with me. He helped with the cooking. He opened this table opens to see 12 people and, you know, getting all the preparations. He also took care of the wine, making sure we had the right one and tasting all day long as things were cooking. So I stopped while he was alive, but he's now gone three and a half years. So uh, right now I wouldn't have the heart to do it. Clearly Mimi has hosted a lot of memorable Thanksgivings and she's not totally against turkey. What I do like about the turkey is the carcass. I then make a, a basic broth that I can make into three or four different kind of soups later on. My mom's favorite part of the turkey, her favorite thing at Thanksgiving is just to stand in the kitchen over the carcass and to pull shards of meat off of the bones and shove them in her mouth. That is her Thanksgiving feast. I love it all. You know, come down at night and just pull out or for breakfast yes. even. And I always wonder about all of these articles about what to do, complicated recipes for the leftover. I love a turkey sandwich. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I love the cold sliced meat. Why would I start grinding it all up and doing something all over again with it? Mimi says some of her most memorable Thanksgivings have been ones she spent outside the country, 
including one in Cuba in 1955, before Castro came to power. On Thanksgiving Day, we were at the National Hotel, and they said, you know, for Americans, we have big Thanksgiving dinners, which we wanted no part of. So there was a restaurant in the country that friends of ours who lived down there knew where they roast chicken and do pigs under the ground in pits lined with leaves, and we went out for a feast there. So I remember that. Another one that was very memorable was in Istanbul, Turkey. I was on a four-month trip around the world to gather material for a book called City Portraits. And as I was planning my time, I thought, well, it looks like I could be in Turkey on Thanksgiving. And I thought that was funny. Being in Turkey instead of Turkey and me, I, it was a little joke for me. Right. Cheer me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as you appreciated it, Mimi. Right. Tell right. everyone I else. I tell myself jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the third one was in Milan. I was there doing research for an exhibit on Italian design that I curated. And we were there, I was there with the director of the gallery for a month to gather the designers and the pieces we would show. And the woman who was going to organize it in Italy for us gave a big dinner. And knowing it was Thanksgiving, she did turkey, but they were little turkeys. They, I mean, there must have been 50 people, 60 people at this party, cut up and cooked, I would say the closest uh, comparison would be coco van. They were braised in red wine with porcini mushrooms, and they were little and tender and cut in chunks, served with soft polenta. And I must say that's probably the best turkey meal I have ever had wow. <laughs> in my life. That's food writer Mimi Sheridan. She's the author of numerous books. Her most recent is 1,000 Foods to Eat Before You Die. Coming up, Chef Kian Lam Ko tells us how to put a Chinese spin on Thanksgiving leftovers. And Milk Street Kitchen's Christopher Kimball and I discuss the wheel of infinite Thanksgiving anxiety. I've done 34 different ways to cook a turkey. 34 years, once a year. It's like this karmic turkey wheel. It just keeps turning and you can't get off. You have to do a turkey. Stick around. It's time to open up a can of advertisements. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. 
The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line, they take cruising to another level and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's black and fluffy and soft and very adorable. And when we first got her, we took her to like this puppy kindergarten training class. The whole family went and, you know, they're teaching you how to use the treats and all this. The trainer watched Sasha for a bit and said, hmm, She's very food motivated. And my daughter, Emily, turned to me and said, she's a Pashman. <laughs> and so she is food motivated. And that's why we make a point of feeding Sasha high quality pet food. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. So they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Now, let me tell you something. When it's dinner time, Sasha is motivated, okay? She is highly motivated to come in from patrolling the backyard at dinner, to get up off the couch, whatever she's doing, she will drop it and come running. Check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. And hey, quick note before we get back to the reheat. Starting this Wednesday, major Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals on pasta and on signed copies of my cookbook all through Sfolini. 20% off on pasta, 20% off on the gift set of the variety pack of pasta that includes the signed copy of my cookbook to come and a sneak preview recipe from my cookbook. These are great holiday gifts for the eater in your life. And they're on special discount starting next Wednesday only at Sfolini.com. That's S-F-O-G-L-I-N-I.com. All right, back to the reheat.
Hello, this is Marcos Roman from Kansas City, Missouri. I grew up in Ponce, Puerto Rico, and I moved to the United States when I was a little boy. Puerto Rico is a commonwealth of the United States, and, you know, Thanksgiving is still a national holiday there, so we kind of embraced it, but we also added things that we eat every day. So I know that it's Thanksgiving in my house because I smell turkey roasted with sofrito and stuffed with mofongo, which is a smashed plantain, rice and beans, instead of potatoes, yuca roots roasted with garlic and olive oil, and then for dessert, flan, tembleque, which is a coconut custard, arroz con dulce, which is the rice pudding sweetened with coconut milk and raisins, and then coquito, which is an alcoholic eggnog made with coconut milk. Hi, my name is Lauren, and I live in New York City. And I know it's Thanksgiving time because I receive a text, a photo from my mother of um, her soup can turkey project. Um, it's this craft project that she picked up in Highlights Magazine in like the craft section in 1981. And it's um, a cover soup can with brown construction paper and you make like a head and you put googly eyes on it and feathers and stuff. And um, my whole life, when I was a little girl, we would make it together. We looked forward to it. But as I got older, we stopped looking forward to it so much. But we still made it every year, but it would get like, we'd start fighting about it. We, we delayed it until like the day before Thanksgiving. It became this burden. And, but we were afraid what would happen like to the universe if we stopped doing it. So we, so we did it every year. And you know, I am 33 years old and I don't live in the same city as my mother anymore, but she still makes it every year and I get a picture. Mom, if you're listening, I love that you still make that turkey for me. And maybe someday, if I have a kid or something, maybe I'll feel obligated to make one also. So, as I think I made pretty clear, Thanksgiving has become a source of stress for me. But do other folks in food media feel the same way? I decided to ask my friend Christopher Kimball. As the founder of America's Test Kitchen and Cooks Illustrated, and now as the man behind Milk Street Kitchen, Chris has done a lot on Thanksgiving over the years. So Chris, here at Sporkful headquarters, we Googled Christopher Kimball Thanksgiving. And we, like, our, <laughs> our, our <laughs> smoke started coming out of the computers. There were so many results. And a lot of them had titles like Rethinking Thanksgiving, Giving Thanksgiving Classics a Makeover, how do you feel as the figurehead and leader of this food media empire when Thanksgiving rolls around at this point in your career? Well, it's interesting because about six months ago, we sat down thinking about the November, December issue, right? The one that always has a turkey in it. And so I said, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm just, I cannot do another turkey. The next week we said, <laughs> <laughs> another meeting and the turkey was back on the menu because we realized it's like this karmic turkey wheel. It just keeps turning and you can't get off. You have to do a turkey. But but to my great surprise and, and pleasure, I would add, we did actually come up with a fresh take on the turkey. We went through like nine or 10 different disastrous forays into the world of Thanksgiving turkey. But we ended up taking some smoky tea, lapsang sushang, and grinding it with salt and using that as a rub, a little bit of a maple glaze, and it was great. There is some benefit, I think. I mean, being creative, the, the more, it's like writing a song, right? The more you restrict yourself, 
sometimes the more creative you are. So I, I, I think that's a, t- turkey's the ultimate testing ground for someone who develops recipes. If you can come up with a fresh recipe for turkey, then, you know, you're working pretty hard. Chris, do you recognize your role in the Wheel of Infinite Thanksgiving anxiety as both a perpetrator and a victim? I'm not a victim. I, I, I have a different point of view about victimhood here. Uh, my, <laughs> my, feeling is, my, my feeling is that I don't really care what the food media says about Thanksgiving because I'm going to make my menu my way. Thanksgiving's in charge. It's in charge of me. It's in charge of my family, I guess. And we're all just slaves to Thanksgiving. Which is uh, very comforting. Why? <laughs> I, it, it, should I get on the couch for this? Or what? Yeah, this is, make it comfortable, this, Chris, because as much time as you need here. We can go over is, in this is session. This, <laughs> is this one of these psychoanalyst <laughs> sporkful deals? What? Well, uh, because, because I, you know why? Because I spend so much of my life thinking I'm in charge, which of course is not true, but believing I'm in charge, having to make decisions. And Thanksgiving... On Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's in charge. Things have to be done at a certain time in a certain way. It's the same every year. It's it's sort of like digging a hole. I mean, you have a shovel and you have a hole you got to dig, and you don't have to think about it. You just got to dig the hole. So Thanksgiving's like digging a hole. You're on autopilot. And I think that's comforting. How old are your kids now, Chris? Uh, 29, 27, 22, 19, and five months. Okay. And... Do you ever because because one of the things that I find that that is so contradictory to the wheel of infinite Thanksgiving anxiety is that most of us just want to eat the thing we ate when we were nine at Thanksgiving. Yes, exactly. And I, I feel a lot of pressure because I have a four year old and a seven year old, and I feel like I am creating those formative Thanksgiving memories right now, and I need to settle on a recipe of, of the major classic Thanksgiving dishes and do it the same every year so that I can form that mem- that that taste memory for them. And I don't want them going to their in-law's house for Thanksgiving 30 years from now. <laughs> I want them to come back for my turkey. And if I've done it different every year, then what good is that? Oh, no, no, Dan, 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 I gotta stop you. Look, now I'm the psychiatrist and you're on the couch. All right. Here's the deal. No matter what you do, trying to form perfect memories for your children. It's not going to work. I can just tell you, just give up on that idea that somehow in the formative years, you're creating the perfect, you know, future. My suggestion would be make half as many dishes as you think you need to make. And then every year you have your menu done. Okay. And, and just relax. And then every year people know what to expect. You, you don't think that, that it will increase the odds that my kids will p- come to my house for Thanksgiving if uh, my turkey's better? I think I think all you do is relax and try to be a good dad and don't worry about it. And that will increase the odds of them coming back. Because <laughs> 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 they're going to tell you're anxious around Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving will become an anxious holiday. And that's what they don't want. If If dad's happy and the mashed potatoes are okay, then you're good. Is that are you? Do, do you feel better? Yeah, you know, I, th- this is the first year that I have really identified this issue that I'm in danger of not liking Thanksgiving anymore because I get so stressed about trying to do it a certain way and 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 feel overwhelmed by the number of options. And so this is the first year that I'm going to try to just go in with the most zen possible approach because I do think your advice is sound. And I feel like I, I, I've cycled through a lot of the turkey techniques that people talk about, and I've decided that I don't really need them. But I'm still very stuck on whether I should wet brine or dry brine. 
And, and that's my fault, probably, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the father of brining. Well, I don't brine anymore. I know this is a great shock to you, uh, but I braise it now. I, I, I actually, I know this is anathema to you probably, but I dismember the turkey before the dark meat, the bottom of the roasting pan with a bunch of liquid and leeks and stuff. And then the two breasts on top, I roast it low and slow. And then when the white meat's done, I take it out and continue cooking the dark meat. I make makes its own gravy. It's moist and the white meat does not overcook. So it really solves the overcooked breast meat problem because you can take it out before the dark meat. Well, it's funny because you say this because I, I was contemplating something along these lines because I wanted to make the meat soft and tender. And I was talking to my mom who's coming for Thanksgiving and I said, you know, I was thinking of cutting up the turkey and then cooking it. There's a long silence on the phone. And then she goes, I don't like that. <laughs> Another issue, a lot of people put emphasis on getting crispy skin on the turkey. What's your take on crispy skin? Well, I'm I, I'm in a 12-step program now um, <laughs> to get rid of- <laughs> We're getting a lot a, out a here today, Chris. and crispy skin. Okay. I've spent my whole career a slave to crispy chicken and, and turkey skin. And I've just decided I don't care anymore because the, the problem is the skin is the tail that you know, wags the dog. You have to do a lot of things to get crispy skin. It's not worth it. I, I really like to focus on the, the quality of the meat. Well, and also the other thing about crispy skin, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that once the turkey is, is out of the oven and sitting for 45 minutes before you carve it. It gets soggy. Right, because you have steam coming out of the meat going through the skin. So whatever crisp you had in the second you took it out of the oven, half of that's gone by the time you go to carve it. Yeah, any relative who's smart will be standing there waiting for the turkey to come out to eat the skin then. See, listening to this turkey strategy talk, aren't you starting to wonder whether maybe you should be doing something new and different and better with your turkey? Welcome to the wheel. And you thought you were immune. Look, as careers go, they have to come up with a new turkey recipe every November. I'll take that as one of the tragic aspects of my job. Now, if you're saying, doesn't that create anxiety in the part of the home cook? Because they feel they have to keep up with the Joneses. There's always something new. Yeah, maybe. I, that, that, that's a good point. I mean, can you imagine the cover of Bon Appetit every year, which says in big, you know, 76-point type says, the same old bird every year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come and get it. Right. <laughs> well, you know what, Chris? We're doing an experiment here on the Sporkful because that's why this is the last Thanksgiving special. I'm going to uh, break the trend in food media, media. I'm setting a new course. We'll see. You know, we'll find out in uh, in a few years if the sporkful has gone out of business, and that'll uh, be why. You know, Dan, Dan, <laughs> I always knew you were self delusional, but you know that's not going to happen, pal. Come we'll on. See. You, you, you think I'm you think I'm kidding, Chris? You think I'm not going to follow through on this? Uh, as we speak, I've already placed the date in my computer calendar for to be on your Thanksgiving special next year. <laughs> <laughs> Every November, it'll beep and go time for Dan's Thanksgiving special. <laughs> It's going to happen. <laughs> That's Christopher Kimball. He's the man behind Milk Street Kitchen. Check out his excellent podcast, Milk Street Radio, which I'm often a guest on. And check out his brand new cookbook, Christopher Kimball's Milk Street, The New Home Cooking. I know it's Thanksgiving in our home when the whole house smells like caramelized onions, saffron, and barberries. This is what we use to make zeresh polo, which is a Persian dish. It tastes delicious and it's one of my favorites because I can 
see my old home placed in this new home that I'm living in now. So I'm bringing Iran to America, and I love it. That's Gypsy from Portland, Oregon. And I know it's getting to be Thanksgiving when I'm wandering around singing the Mystery Science Theater 3000 theme. My family lives a full continent away, so the way that I usually spend Thanksgiving is in front of a live stream of the MST3K Turkey Day Marathon, eating my own homemade, because let's face it, I'm a snob, roast turkey breast and homemade cranberry sauce and homemade green bean casserole. That's me and the cat sitting there watching TV. That to me is the perfect Thanksgiving. This is Larry from New Jersey. I know it's Thanksgiving when I look down at the plate in front of me on the table and there's a humongous portion of mashed potatoes and right next to that, a giant portion of stuffing and in front of those two portions, a mound of turkey and all of it is smothered in gravy and it's enough for three people. That's how I know it's Thanksgiving. Kian Lam Ko is a cookbook author and chef. He grew up in a Chinese family in Singapore. Kian's husband, Warren, is New England through and through. His mother's family actually came over on the Mayflower. Throughout the year, their different food cultures take turns at the dinner table. But on Thanksgiving... The menu actually is based on Warren's mother's Thanksgiving dinner, and it, uh, we definitely will always have a roast turkey with uh, oyster stuffing, and it's accompanied with mashed potatoes and mashed uh, squash, cream peas and onions, and also uh, cranberry sauce, of course, and also pickles, uh, homemade pickles. And Kian also makes Parker House rolls from the Parker House Hotel in Boston, and he makes a, f a fabulous apple pie, and he's not allowed to change anything. Like people nowadays want to put like horseradish in the mashed potatoes and that's simply not allowed. <laughs> it has to be exactly what it is. And we're celebrating our 40th anniversary next July. And so that means he will have done this meal 40 times. You do, you do the cooking? I do the cooking. Yes, Warren doesn't cook. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're doing Warren's mom's food. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Why was it important to you to learn how to make Warren's mom's Thanksgiving dinner? I had no choice. <laughs> Kian moved to Boston in 1971 for college. First time he tried turkey, he expected to hate it because it has a bad reputation in Singapore. But actually, he liked it. And after a couple of years, you know, I started learning from Warren's mother because she's getting a bit frail. And so I had to um, help her in the kitchen and I learned it from her. And she gave me not really a full recipe, but showed me how to do it. And I just sort of took it from there. And after Warren's parents passed away, we, we continued to host Thanksgiving dinner. And so that's sort of the tradition got stuck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Warren, what did it mean to you that Kian learned how to make all these dishes exactly the way your mom made them? It means continuity, that, that someone is carrying on the tradition and that it's not going to change. What I uh, find it fascinating is is how tradition-bound it is. Like every year, it's the same thing over and over and over again with no 
changes in the in the menu and and also in the whole ritual basically like you know people arriving at two or three in the afternoon and sitting down for dinner at four o'clock and so it's a full day's uh, ritual of eating <laughs> Uh, have you come to find comfort in that ritual, or or do I you do actually? Would you change it all if you could? No, I find it. I do find it find it very uh, comforting in, in the sense that it's a family gathering. It's similar to many Chinese holidays. I think almost all the Chinese celebration we also have big meals. So that probably that's the reason why I I find it very comforting. <laughs> but do you ever feel because you know as a as a chef and a person who loves to cook, you must at times. Be like, well, I wonder what would happen. Well, you know, Warren allows me for Christmas to vary the menu at Christmas. Oh, how generous, Warren! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I do uh, become a little bit more creative for Christmas, but the Thanksgiving dinner that never changes. Do you get to get a little uh, funky with the Thanksgiving leftovers? Well, yeah. Uh, now, leftover is a different story. I can do whatever I want with oh, the leftovers. All the are off. Okay, okay. <laughs> Tell me about some of the things that you do with pumpkin. Oh, um, yes. The leftover pumpkin. I make it into this pumpkin pancake, the Chinese style, where you, uh, I would add some um, the sticky rice flour to it. So it becomes almost like a mochi. Really, it's a, it's a, um, a pumpkin mochi. And I coat it with either breadcrumb or sesame seeds and then just pan fried it's absolutely delicious sounds really good and sometimes I would uh, instead of just plain, plain mochi I would stuff it with um, sesame paste in it flatten it and again fry, uh, pan fry it oh it's so good <laughs> and Warren are you an adventurous eater? absolutely not <laughs> I think Ken and I got together because he was going to try to change my eating habits and how has that panned out? not so well with western food but since I didn't eat much Chinese food when I met him, then I could be more adventurous. We did spend a year in Singapore, and so I've lived in a surrounded by a Chinese culture. And if you're a couple from two, two different cultures, you have to really work hard at understanding the other culture deeply enough to relate to your spouse. And I may add that during the year that we were in Singapore, I made the traditional Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. <laughs> so, Warren, you've experienced all different kinds of foods that maybe you didn't like before. Kian, you have uh, experienced the classic Yankee Thanksgiving. Is there anything around the holidays where food-wise there's not a middle ground? Well, because I am the only one that cook at home. So usually <laughs> I have the last say as to what we eat for, for any particular holiday. Right. Um, no, we, so far, I mean, we, we try to um, maintain closer to the tradition of any particular holiday. Even at Christmas, I would serve Western-style food, even though I can be a lot more creative with that. But it's it's mostly a Western uh, meal. And, you know, for Chinese New Year, I would all, definitely will only serve Chinese food. So, you know, we, we try to stick to the cuisine of that particular holiday. Um, regular meals, sometimes we... If I wanted to eat something that I really want and Warren doesn't like it, I would actually cook two separate kind of stuff. So I would make pig's stomach soup, and then I would eat it on my own. Warren wouldn't eat that because he doesn't like the pig's stomach. <laughs> Things like that. So, right. so then I would cook something different for him. Maybe like I would make a, a sandwich instead. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'll get the real meal, and he can get the sandwich. Right. <laughs> and is it a good sandwich, or is it a little bit of a sad sandwich? <laughs> How about turkey breast sandwich? <laughs> Kian Lamco is the author of Phoenix Claws and Jade Trees: Essential Techniques of Authentic Chinese Cooking. And if you want that recipe for sesame-coated pumpkin pancakes, we'll link to it on Sporkful.com. Thank you to all of you who sent in Thanksgiving recordings for this episode. Oh, look, there's one more. Hi, Dan. It's Janie, your wife. I know it's Thanksgiving in our house when you've been drinking since about 9:30 in the morning. But mostly, I feel like I know it's Thanksgiving in our house when the kitchen is pretty much off limits to everyone except Dan after 9 a.m. and the house smells amazing all day. But seriously, Thanksgiving is a great holiday in our house. It's one of my favorite days of the year. Uh, I know Dan that you get really excited and plan the meal for a long time, and it definitely pays off. Danny make a great Thanksgiving meal, and everyone has a great time getting together and eating delicious food. Ah, oh, thanks, Janie. I appreciate it. And I think this year's Thanksgiving is going to be the best ever because I'm going to take Chris Kimball's advice. I'm going to focus on having a good time with my family, and I'm going to cook a turkey. And it's probably going to be good. It may not be great, but that's going to be okay. Right? So there you have it, friends. The last sporkful Thanksgiving special ever. Next week on the show, I'll argue about muffins with Slate's Julia Turner, co-host of the Culture Gab Fest. I basically don't think that muffin tops should be that big. I like a smaller muffin that doesn't have that ledge. Wow. I'm not sure where to begin responding to that. Um, do you not agree that the muffin top is better than the muffin bottom? No, I like the whole thing together. That's next week. Again, please subscribe to this show and give us a good review in Apple Podcasts while you're at it. That helps other people find us and it makes sure that you don't miss an episode. Go ahead, you can subscribe right now. Leave that review while you're listening. Thank you. This show is produced by Ann Sandy and me. Editing help from Margaret Kelly. Music help from Black Label Music. This pork was a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Rattlin. Happy Thanksgiving, one and all. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And we're the fries from... Abilene, Kansas. Reminding you to eat more. Eat better. And... Eat more better. The team that produces The Sporkful today includes me, along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. Our intern is Julia Russo. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Nora Ritchie and Colin Anderson. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my state farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. It's okay if you aren't ready for kids right now. It's okay if you don't want to be a mom now or even ever. It's nobody's decision but yours. But do you know what's not okay? 
not knowing how effective your birth control is? Talk to your doctor about effective birth control options so you can make an informed decision. Tap to learn more.